Welcome to My Life is a Junk Drawer with your host, me, Sue Mangum. This podcast is meant to help you clean out the junk in your heart, soul, body, and yes, junk drawer. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. I'm so glad you guys are back with me. As I say every week, another week has passed. Poof, magic. In the air, it's disappeared. And then it's March, and spring has sprung. Can you believe it? And yes, in the Atlanta area, it is still raining. Well, we did see that beautiful yellow ball that hangs in the sky a couple of times this week, and that made me really happy. And you know what else makes me really happy? Bringing you this interview with my friend, Dr. Jennifer Locasali. I like to tease Jennifer about the doctor part because I've known her forever, and I'm like, I'm not calling you a doctor, but she actually worked really hard to get her doctorate and PhD, and she deserves those two initials in front of her name. Jen, you are a doctor. Jennifer is probably one of my biggest inspirations in my life. Now, I don't know if I've ever told her that, but she is just one of those people that has a compassionate heart, a kind soul. She is so driven. She stands up for what she believes in, but she never makes you feel like if you don't believe the same thing, that that's bad. If you want to be on her team, that's great. If not, she will give you respect and kindness. I just find that so refreshing. If more people were like Jennifer, we would get a lot more problems solved and have a lot more kindness in this world. So Jen, thank you so much for being on this show. I want to let the listeners know that when Jennifer and I recorded this, we were at the top of the mountain in Snowshoe, West Virginia. We were in a condo that was probably built in the late 1970s, maybe early 80s. I'm not sure, but we weren't even sure if it had central heat. They had little uh, heaters on the bottom of the wall and... We turned those on, but we couldn't find any vents for central heat or air, so we weren't sure. And as we're recording this, Jennifer's like, there's this humming in the background. Are you sure that's okay? I'm like, yeah, no problem. Don't worry. And then, of course, this is the time when my cold was probably at its worst, so I had several coughing episodes, so I had to edit those out. The editing and the the recording quality is not the greatest. But the information that you get, and I hope the stories that we share will bring a smile to your face, will give you a sense of hope, a sense of inspiration. Jen's so real. She talks, we talk about how we met. We talk about some of the shenanigans we got into. And then she really just takes us on a walk through her life. And why I wanted to go so far back with Jennifer is because she truly is the same person that she was when I first met her. And that's pretty incredible. She had just has had this drive to help others her whole life. She has always felt the need to give of herself. And she volunteers like crazy. She works for the better of children in childhood learning. And I just, like I said, she's a huge inspiration to me. She stands up for what she believe, believes in and she puts her money where her mouth is. And I find that very refreshing. Her quote is, consistency, not perfection. And I love that. 
She's like, I'm not perfect at what I do, but I just consistently do it. And I think that's awesome. This is a two-part series. This first part, like I said, you get to know Jennifer. And then she gets into talking about her passion, which is helping children, especially in early education, and how much this environment, this learning environment can help children grow and succeed in life. I mean, she's super passionate about it. So I won't bore you anymore. Here is my conversation with Jennifer. Good afternoon, everyone. So excited today. Um, I want you to excuse my voice a little bit. I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, so it's a little raspy. But um, I am so excited to bring to you today my one of my oldest and dearest friends, Jennifer Locasali Crouch. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay! All right. So not everyone knows all about you. Tell tell us tell my listeners all about you. I am a research professor at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, and Sue and I met way back in middle school, which we'll talk more about in a few moments, and have been lifelong friends since, ever uh, ever uh, adventuring into new territory with children and relationships and places to live, and I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, Jen and I go way back. We, I, uh, as I was reminiscing through our... How many years? Lots. Let's not let's, add let's it not up. Add let's not go We're going to talk decades here, so we weren't going too bad. So my version. So I met Jennifer. We met in ninth grade. And Jennifer and I were actually talking earlier today. This ninth, ninth grade in Jacksonville, Florida, it's a really weird year. I don't know if they still did it, but it was still considered middle school. And so it was at this school. I think they only had eighth and ninth grade. Yep. So I had moved from the Northeast, New England, everything you imagine about a little New England town. That's where I lived to Jacksonville, Florida, to this school that, I mean, the first day of school, I wore corduroy. It was like 97 <laughs> degrees. Okay. Welcome to humidity in Florida. <laughs> I knew nothing. I knew nothing. So anyways, my mom was like, come on, you got to get involved and you got to be part of the school. So I was into soccer and she's, I was like, okay, I'll try out for the boys soccer team. And so I went out for the boys soccer team and Jennifer and one of another lady, another one of her friends was also trying out. My version is that she was so cool and so pretty and all the boys liked her and I was so awkward and I had braces and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't want to be there. She would run and I would like kind of follow behind her. And my mom tells the story of how Jennifer's hair swished in the air and she was so pretty. And, and so that was my version that I remember meeting you. And then Jennifer says she has a little bit different version of the story. So you tell your version. I'll figure out which version I'm going to share. Because, you know, <laughs> memory is a very fickle beast. It and is. And I have no recollection of the story that Sue is telling. <laughs> All I remember is we were good friends. We It was so amazing to have these women who were interested in playing a sport and willing to do that with the guys. And I was thrilled to have somebody who was a different kind of person coming from another place. Oh, and funny. we would, you know, connect and challenge each other. And I just saw it as a really positive thing <laughs> that so uh, we would we would join together against uh, the the uh, the boys, the boys and, you know, try to challenge some of the things that were in place. Yeah, I remember because we all made the team. 
but I quit. I didn't stay. I um, she left me. I she did. left me alone with my mom, those boys. My mom to this day does not let me quit. I mean, I had to do swim team, and I hated it. But she let me quit that. She knew. She kind of knew I was miserable. So, but but that was ninth grade. So we really. I don't know if we really were friends in ninth grade, but I know in tenth grade when we got to real high school. We became friends. And then I was trying to think how, other than soccer, did we become friends? Well, I think it's probably because I had this great memory of you and (laughs) that you were um, such a positive influence and thinking, wow, you know, there's more than just me out there thinking about, you know, how to, how to um, play soccer and, you know, have a community around being fit and having fun and, I think we just picked it up again. and Did we have a classic? We also had some classes because the soccer team wasn't until 11th grade, we right? Played, well, so Carla and I played on the boys' team oh, in 10th in in, in in grade. grade. Okay. Yes, yes. So I got another country. one of the okay. – another person in um, – in, in the group and then then we did I think you're okay. right I think we had a class together and then the okay. three of us said and you're okay, like we're let's... getting together this team yeah so um Jen and Carla were the were the headhunters but I was definitely a co-founder of the first women's soccer team yep. in uh Wolfson in Jack- High School and Jack- the first public um women's soccer team was in- it the first yes. public yes wow. in, I didn't in Duval yeah. yeah yeah we had to go beg a teacher to be our coach mm-hmm. we had to beg for field time we like yep. we like practiced wherever we could but it was amazing it was uh, that was a great time for me so I have always thought that um you were having a drive to succeed and kind of doing more and better in in this world really and it started with the soccer team tell me about some other things maybe in your early years that you felt the need to do or felt the desire to do well, you know, I, I, when you asked me to introduce myself, I said very quickly that, you know, I'm a, or do research at the University of Virginia. And really what I do, um, what I have spent my life being, you know, working towards is working on trying to improve, um, early childhood and experiences for people at risk. And I really think the, root of that came from um, my grandmother. Wow. And my grandmother, uh, she died a few years ago in her 90s, and she was a nurse in Miami Heart Institute way before they started stopped letting um, kids come into the hospital. She would let me oh. go with her as she went on her rounds and visit patients. And you know, this was, you know, many decades ago right. now, and, uh, you know, heart treatment was really limited. And right. so many of her patients were uh, really sick and didn't have many options. And she would really model how to be with somebody who was struggling. Wow. And at a, you know, being with somebody like that at a, at a young age and really realizing how much you can do with whatever you have. And sometimes that's time, you know, and, right. and compassion and, Really realizing from her early on the gift of yourself to somebody made me realize, uh, one, I had a lot of privilege in my life and there was uh, nothing was perfect, but I had a lot to be thankful for. Right. And two, I had the ability and responsibility to, to do something with that. And so I've tried to spend, you know, both my professional and personal time and thinking about how to, how to, how to move life forward in positive ways for those around me. Yeah. And you really do. You you practice what you preach. Cause you... Not always. I'm sure my <laughs> husband and children would gladly, you know, beg to differ on now, some now. points. I, I see it as, as outside of your family. You do a <laughs> lot. 
Well, and consistency, not perfection, is one of my li- lines I like to live by, which is, you know, we, you know, the, there's no reason to try to have it be right all the time, but just working towards trying to do better and, and think thoughtfully about, you know, how to, how to support others is just kind of the way I try to move through life. Yeah. We, um, so in my mother's fellowship, she's like, you know, everybody says, well, they did the best they can. And like our new motto is, well, you do the best you can until you know better and then you do better. And I'm like, oh, that's good. I like that. I like that. that. All right. So before we go into anything too deep, let's talk about some of the fun we had together. (laughs) All right. So Jennifer and I met at 14. We became close friends, 15 and 16, and literally have been friends ever since. And um, in high school and college, we might have got into a couple of shenanigans. What? (laughs) We could tell one or two that might be funny. Do you have one that you remember? <laughs> I don't know. Are you gonna are you gonna share one? Oh, the I'll top tell of you. Your my funny, <laughs> the one that always stands out is so. My parents never ever went away. Never went away. We were seniors in high school. Never went away. And back in the day, the drinking age was nineteen. And Jennifer had a sister who was, I think, two years, eighteen months, two years older than years you. Old, yeah. And um, she had an ID. So Jennifer had her sister's ID. We had a small party at my house. And that was the back in the day when you drank Tickle Pink and um, what was the other one? can't remember, but that, that wine. So Jennifer goes into the convenience store right by <laughs> where I live and she puts her bottles up there and buys our, us all our wine. We're all excited and we go back and we drink and get, you know, way too, we got very buzzed. And then... She had forgotten her ID at the convenience store. So for the rest of the year, we had no one that could buy us drinks. <laughs> it was so terrible. All, you know, that, all that effort to have that. I know. Uh, Act so mature and so access, cool. Access, I know. And, and that might have been gone. one of the first times you ever used it, too, I, I think. I, I, and my family does know, both my parents <laughs> and my children know that I had a um, ID that was not mine. And it was, it was one of those, we felt so grown up and then all of a sudden it was gone. Uh, and was, we were like, come on, Jennifer, go, go back and get it. You're like, I'm not going in there and getting that ID. No. Uh, but we did have fun that night. We did so that, there was, there was that. I have to, you know, it's funny. There's so many memories I have of so many things we've done, but of course the, the, the th- one of the ones that really stands out, of course, is when your brother managed to get us showing up at the U2 concert yes. at the moment that uh, Bono. Bono was coming out. And, you know, we, we go, oh, my gosh. And then he came over and sat on the wall. Yes. And, and I touched his we, boot. <laughs> I know. We touched his boot, looked in his beautiful blue oh. eyes and how you know, we were so awestruck by by him and and that moment uh, that your brother really helped create is, oh, is one know. of my Oh, it was my, my birthday. Favorites. It was my 16th birthday. It was in the Jacksonville Coliseum, and mm-hmm. this is when YouTube was just starting to come up. And Jennifer and I definitely shared a love of music. Like, we were into all kinds of music and, you know, being sort of alternative and progressive in the 80s and... I was like, I don't understand. My brother wouldn't let us get out of the car. And he knew 
the limo driver of the band. And so he was trying to stall to not let us get out. And then all of a sudden, there's Bono and Edge. And oh, it was so, it was like the most amazing 20 minutes. It's it still, was. that's one of my highlights of my life. Still. It, it he signed our arm. He signed it, right? I know. And he, I signed a ticket too. And I, I have no, oh, you do. I still have a ticket. Of course I did you do. You, good job, you saving that. I put it in my little, when, when I used to scrapbook, I can, uh-huh. I could tell you, I could sprint, pull it out, I could show our picture and the ticket. So, oh, well, so cool. and th- just, you know, that we, were able to go last year for your birthday to see them thanks to to Jay and, so and it was really fun to like relive that of seeing you know this band we grew up with and having strong moment. memories yeah it was really cool and they were just as good they were just as we good. had so much fun oh um we get through high school and then we went to college together we go to we are Florida State Seminoles through and through we were on the same floor um we stayed friends but we kind of did our own things too what do you remember about that time? About what was your major and your academic goals and oh gosh, you're growing <laughs> way back when. Yeah. I thought when you first asked me about what do I remember, I was just thinking about the drinking yeah. <laughs> uh, and some of the. For some reason, I remember Dante <laughs> and oh, Feifel. <laughs> we're not going to share some of those no, stories. Sorry. But... We digress. <laughs> One of uh, so specific to school. One of the things I remember really struggling with in school was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, I had this desire early of, of wanting to, you know, have some kind of career that allowed me to, to work, especially with, with children and, and um, children who were at risk. And I was, you know, in psychology and thinking, this doesn't really feel quite like what I want to do. And I had, I was uh, working as a bank teller and one of my professors came in and he said, and I was telling the story to him and he said, you know what you need to do? Go volunteer, go volunteer at a place where you think you might want to be involved and do that kind of work and see one, do you really like that work? And two, what are the people there trained to do? And I went and volunteered at a child abuse shelter in Tallahassee, left in tears because it was so heartbreaking to think about what some of the children had been through and and the difficult paths that they were having to manage. And then I went back again and talked with the folks who worked there and they were social workers and they had clinical training in social work. And I thought this is it. This is, this is the path I'm supposed to be on. I was a senior at that point at FSU. And I said, too bad, I'm changing my major. And I changed my major to social work and stayed and and got my uh, master's in it there too, because it just had so much of the, um, of the grounding of like understanding that people are complex and uh, so much influences who they are going to become. And we have some real possibility of helping shape that for the better. Right. And uh, I really was drawn to that and wanting to, to be a part of, of that positive change. Right. And so then you came back to Jacksonville and where did you first work? I worked at child guidance center. Okay. Uh, So the, the other story that, that goes with this, that my, um, uh, I actually was supposed to go to Washington, D.C. I had an internship set up to to go there and was thinking I'd probably move there and, and live there afterwards. Okay, right. And it fell through right at the last minute, which uh, then changed the plans totally. And that's why I ended up back in Jacksonville. And, okay. And we 
though it took a few other boyfriends before I got to David. <laughs> but that's part of like, I would have never met David and, and have had this um, now 25 years of um, long term relationship if if I had ended up in DC, I, yes. I would have never connected. Yes, David was on the podcast last week, everyone. So go listen to him. He is awesome. But he tells the story about how you guys met. And it's so he's so cute. I thought it was so cute. So if you want to hear it, go back. <laughs> so you fall in love, you're doing the social work. So how we're, what develops next? Well, David and I have always been a very outdoorsy and uh, hiking and camping and loving the mountains. And so once we decided we were going to be together and really started to think about our future, we decided we were going to move somewhere where those things were much more accessible to us. Okay. And so we happened to see the outside magazine for that year had top 10 list of places. Charlottesville, Virginia was one of them. We visited there and we actually visited one other place, Fort Collins in Colorado. And we said, we love them both. Let's flip a coin. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that's how you uh, landed yeah. on Charlottesville. Yes, more or less. There was a few other details yeah, I was like, in the there. Little but in, in the, it was a little closer, so it had that. But uh, Colorado had more mountains. True. And, and so we said, okay, let's do it. And moved to, to Charlottesville without jobs. and So what was David doing back then? I don't think he was, I, he was a teacher. He was a teacher. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So he was a teacher. So teachers, so just social workers, we, we said, married. we got married and we got married in May and we said, okay, we're going to go on a honeymoon and then we'll move to Charlottesville and we'll figure out, we'll get you know jobs when we get there. And actually the day before we left for our honeymoon, I had an interview for a position there and they hired me before we left for my honeymoon. So we ended up having at least one Yay! of us have a, have a position before we, before right. we left. And so, yeah, so it was, it was great. That's cool. And then you just thought you were going to go to Charlottesville for a little while. And now 20 years later, you're still there. You know, we thought we, we, we weren't sure how we'd feel. You know, both of us were grew up in Florida right. and all, most of our family was in Florida and being that far away, especially thinking about having children, it just seemed really uh, difficult and scary. But then we found community in Charlottesville and lots of good friends and I figured out how to tolerate the winters. <laughs> so The best that she could. <laughs> the best that I could. Flannel is a really good friend of mine. Uh, and and so we we decided from from that lifestyle we would stay and um and then have continued kind of figuring out our our work paths from there. Right. And did you live cuz I only know the house that you mm -hmm. live in now. Were you in an apartment first when you We had there? a rental house. A rental house. A little house. rental okay. house, yeah. Maybe I, I maybe I did say that. I just always, your house is just your house. I can always remember it. Okay, so you move up here and you're getting settled. And then you guys decide to start to have, you're going to have a baby. I was a little ahead of Jennifer. I think I, I was pregnant at her wedding. I think I was just literally barely pregnant because we, so your wedding was right after we had gone to Jamaica for a week. That's right. And we came back and we went to your wedding and um, I found out... Right before we went to the all-inclusive drink all you want, oh my that I was pregnant. <laughs> Mike's like, why did you take that pregnancy test? And I'm like, well, I had to know. And 
So uh, I was like six weeks pregnant, I oh, think, wow. at your wedding. And I didn't tell you because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I wanted it to be your moment. Aww. And it was so cool. She came in on a little sailboat. <laughs> it was magical. Do you remember that I actually, so I walked through the Rose Garden uh-huh. to come out to the, um, to the altar and my veil got stuck in the roses. Oh, yes. Do you remember that? I, I was like remember. walking yeah. and then all of a sudden I'm like, <laughs> I remember that yes. now. That's funny. All right. So you're going to start a, a family and then you get pregnant and then what? What? Oh my goodness. You know, the, um, we, so we started trying, happened right away and thought this is so exciting. And I got sick really early, um, really bad. My clothes immediately were not fitting right. And we went in for our 12-week ultrasound. And the son- the sonographer kind of chuckled a little bit. And I, you know, I was working in a medical center. I was like, it's not very common for a sonographer to chuckle. You right. Know? And oh, my gosh. I was like, what? What's so funny? She's like, well... Here's your second baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're like, what? And David said, You're joking, right? And she said, I don't joke about things like this. <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, Let me look to make sure there's not three. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That there wasn't the, three. There wasn't three. <laughs> the look on David's face of, you know, we just thought, oh, ha ha ha, we're just starting, you know, this new little family. And then immediately to double our size in, in such a short time period was, <laughs> was um, not quite the expected path, but a welcome one nonetheless. And you didn't have any twins in your family, right? No twins. They're identical. So that that's, um, it's fraternal are the ones that are typically okay. um, the family history. No history here of no, no thought. It never even occurred to me that, that would we, would, we might have twins. No. But your pregnancy really was pretty rough too. Yes. Yeah. We, it wasn't just the throwing up. No. <laughs> And the twins and the uncomfortable clothing. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the next, yeah, besides being terribly sick early, you know, things kind of settled and, um, and went along okay until about 29 weeks. And then I started having contractions and really just then had several weeks of, um, continuous contractions in the hospital to stop the labor. And then I'd come home and, the contractions never stopped and I'd have to do um, different kinds of medicines at home um, and just back and forth and back and forth to the hospital that I never stopped having contractions Wow! from 29 weeks. And then didn't you kind of go in, was it kidney failure? Yeah. So or? what we know now yeah. was that I was getting um, really sick and I had help, what's called help syndrome. And my body was shutting down. My body was trying to deliver the girls because I was um, so you were sick. sick. Yes, I was so, so sick. So did the pregnancy cause it or was it just? It's, it's pregnancy induced. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was. Didn't know. They, didn't it's one of those things that they really don't know till the end. It's kind oh. of a cluster. Like once you start seeing this whole pattern of the blood pressure and you know, your, um, your platelets are dropping and all of these other, other signs. But what uh, what finally happened was the you know this happened again and I was getting sicker and sicker and uh, went in and they stopped the contractions again and and the nurse came in she said you know something is still not right 
Right. And she had them order a blood test. And that's when they realized I was, I was in kidney failure. Oh I was in gosh. liver failure. What, how many weeks were you then? 33 weeks. Oh, yeah. So for four so, weeks, so four your weeks, body was just yeah. slowly shutting down. Yeah. And it was, we went from this like, oh, oh goodness, we stopped the delivery to, oh, we have to deliver because we're not sure how much longer you have. Yeah. So did you have a C-section? So the... Was it emergency and all it was, that? It was one of those bizarre, I swear <laughs> I felt like we should be on some medical, you know, fictional show because it was like, really, this is happening this way? Yeah, right. Um, so I was so sick that they... Um, couldn't basically, you know, about platelets and you right, know, you're right, like, right. I had almost none. Oh my gosh. And so I was a real risk to try to do any surgery because I would bleed. Oh, and then they couldn't. And then they couldn't. So there was a lot of debate about what to do. And, and what they ended up um, deciding to do was push platelets. Like we're going down into the emergency room and they have the bag of platelets and they're like squeezing it into my lines to like try to up my ability to, to... So were you with it enough to be terrified or were you just I, in the moment where yeah. adrenaline was just rushing and you... It was one of those moments where um, whatever your faith is or isn't, oh. you know, you... You're you, praying. You say, <laughs> you say, I don't know where this is going to go, but I don't have any control over this right now. And so please be with those who have... You know, the skill and knowledge yeah. to do something and please help it be okay. And I want to meet my children. Right. You know, I want to raise them with my husband and did David in. get to go in with you or did he have he to stay in, out? He went in for the very first, for the beginning part. Okay. Um, before they, uh, started because it was quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they wanted to get yeah, it out yeah. as fast as possible. Yeah. And then, so there are pictures of the next 24 hours, but I have no memory of it. (laughs) The good news is, is that, you know, they, they took great care of me there and my, you know, the body can be very resilient. Modern Um, medicine. You might, things turned around pretty, pretty quickly for me. Um, I did have some like, you know, some little bleeds in, in my brain a little bit. That's why, yeah, it's not the alcohol. It's the brain bleeds (laughs) that why I have some. Memory lapses <laughs> of <laughs> certainly not perimenopause. No, not at, not, not. not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, the, but the girls were. I remember them being a pretty healthy weight, right? They were. So as early at as they were, weeks. they they were four fourteen and five fifteen. Yeah. So oh my decent gosh. size. Yeah. And what, Brooke needed a little tiny bit of oxygen, um, but really more. That was like more preventative. It wasn't, okay. She had a real need and they you know they were <laughs> they're fine and they you know they're doing they're doing great now i always i laugh about like and they're you know, like super tall well this too. is for the job like oh yeah, my god they're like, they're like thank four. goodness we were early otherwise who knows how tall <laughs> we'd be <laughs> you looked at your father i know right he was like what six, six four, two six, six two, two. Yeah. Okay. yeah yeah oh my gosh he just seems taller to me yes okay oh my gosh that that just gave me chills going back to that time and so you decided you have these two precious bundles of crying babies <laughs> and you're like, Hey, I think I want to be a stay at home mom. <laughs> right. So tell me about what happened there. Cause you were really super driven to be a working person. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I was surprised when you said, when oh, I, yeah, I, missed at home. <laughs> I, I feel really fortunate that I right. was, that we were in a position, you know, we got help from, from family and uh, particularly David's mom financially so I could stay home and in part 
you know, having two infants yeah. is oh, yeah, yeah. really expensive. Remember, as oh, a social true. worker, right, too, right, right, like right, social yeah. worker salary is not very much, <laughs> and two infants yeah. and childcare, like it doesn't yeah. really you're make like, sense. I'm going to bring home twelve dollars and forty two cents yeah. if I go to work. Maybe <laughs> if you're lucky. And I was working in early childhood. David was a teacher. You know, we just had so much, you know, understanding of the early foundations of children's like, success and just wanting to kind of be able to offer that uh, right. to some degree to them and, you know, be present as much as we could. And so, uh, you know, we, we counted a lot of pennies then, you know, right. it was teacher salary, two kids oh is gosh, a little tough, yes. <laughs> but we, we managed. And I think, you know, one of the greatest gifts that I had was David would be able to come home, you know, from school and oh, right earlier. You know, in the, like, yeah. It's not schools. It's a, it's a reasonable schedule. And, yeah. and he, and, he and had the Christmas girls, break, Christmas and, break, summer break, yeah. spring break. And, so we got to spend a lot of time together as a family. Now he will readily admit that I sometimes met him at the door with a the baby. baby out. Yeah, oh. like here you like go, that. hun. Go yeah. ahead, go for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the double stroller. Yeah. <laughs> please, please, yeah, please take them out. Were they good babies? Were they hard? Were they criers? <laughs> I mean, CJ cried until he could walk at nine months, and then he was the happiest thing he could be. <laughs> he just wanted to be independent. He and just wanted to walk, walk yeah. apparently. Um, well, as we started this, you know, remembering that memory is a... Yeah, that's true. Very, I remember them as, as very good babies, oh, whether that was how we good. felt at the moment. I I don't know. I mean, you know, you go from having no idea of how to be a parent times two. Yeah. Uh, so things when you did things right, it felt doubly good. But then when you're like, I don't know why you're crying, it felt twice as bad with having two. Oh, yeah. But I think the... You're crying in stereo. It's, oh, my gosh. Um, usually, at least, they would take turns. You okay, know, okay. I don't know if that's better because <laughs> one's always crying. But they helped us, I think, because there were two, we kind of had to figure out, okay, what's our routine as a family? Right. And like, you know, bedtime all of a sudden became really important yeah. and, and helped us, I think, be structured in ways that ultimately, I think, made um, it easier to have two small children. And All right. So you get to stay home for two years and then you decide, all right, I'm ready to get back into the workforce. But I'm maybe thinking about doing something a little bit different or going a different way. So tell me then what happens. Well, I was really looking forward to getting back into work. I really loved the kind of work I was doing. I loved being home with the girls, but they were ready for preschool and, right. and to start developing you know new social skills and being around other people. And I started um, talking with a friend of mine who was involved with a new pro a doctoral program that they were starting at, at UVA that was really focused on thinking about the kinds of things we could do to improve the systems that work with, with young children. So thinking about schools and after school and medical settings and things that, that really have an impact, um, but don't always do the best job of supporting them. And, and it was really interesting to me because I thought, I love working with individual kids and families, but the system isn't changing enough to take care of the next kid behind them. And how could we start understanding uh, the ways that right. we could 
really make change so no more kids are having to go into foster kids care. You know, no more kids are are behind because they don't have enough resources at home. What I really, I mean, maybe back in the day when I was at FSU, I had this vision of, oh, one day I'll go on to a PhD program, having no idea what that really okay. meant. Okay. Just knowing you might want to have but more just thought, education. I, I okay. thought, you know, sure, I like school. I love learning. Um, that sounds good. And uh, and then one of my good friends who was also staying at, at being a stay-at-home mom at the time, uh, what has had her PhD was at the school, the school of education. Okay. So doing some kind of related work to okay. the things we were okay. interested in. So she was kind of bridging that. Yeah. Gap. And she said, Oh, we're, she's the one who said, Oh, we're starting this new program. Okay. okay. It's called sure. risk and prevention. Uh-huh. And, and we, you know, we're just starting this new doctoral program and it's really trying to take people like you who were clinicians or practitioners in the field and help you figure out how to do, you know, research in the field and help change policy so we can really kind of start to make changes that have a lasting impact on, um, in this case, young children. And I thought, Oh, sure. Like, right. Like, right. Like, here I am. I have these two little kids. My husband's, you know, teacher. I'm like, really? I'm going to go to a doctoral program right now. I don't even know what that means. Right, like, right. It's been a decade since I've taken any tests. Like, how would that even work? And I went in to uh, meet with somebody about it. And they said, you know, we have some funding that you actually, you know, if you want to come into the program, we're just starting it. Wow. So um, it's not well known yet. And we would welcome you. And so, there, I just started down that path. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, and now your job takes you all around the world. I mean, think of your, so you're really the inaug- inaugural. I, I was the f- very first student in that program. Okay. Yes. In common, yes. everyday people, <laughs> juncture of listener kind of things, kind of just yeah. tell me how that all has developed and grown. The The kind of work that I do? Yes. Well, so, so you got your PhD. So I got my PhD. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever that <laughs> so means. So she's a doctor. Right? So yeah. apparently, sometimes she says, "I'm a doctor." <laughs> I'm like, but as my not, you're just Jennifer. As my daughters like to say, not the kind that help people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like I help them in different ways. Dear. Yes, thanks. Thanks for bringing me down. That's right. The work that I've been lucky to be a part of uh, at UVA and then now with lots of different folks around the world is around. How do we, you know, how do we take what we're understanding about what young children need and putting better supports in place so that they can develop to their full potential? Okay. And so an example of that can be something from, um, I've, we've spent a lot of time thinking about early school experiences. So preschool and early childcare, cause that's a setting where, um, where children actually, especially children who've been struggling, at, uh, who don't get a lot of resources and support at home. Okay. Early childcare and preschool and school in general can be a place where if they can have supportive relationships, if they can be challenged intellectually, they actually can really balance, uh, use that to balance off the things they may not be um, getting at home. Similarly, thinking about things like um, food insecurity is a is a large problem in our in our country. It's particularly detrimental when children are really small, if they're not getting enough nutrition, that it's really difficult for them to have adequate brain development, 
and adequate body development to be able to do the things young children need to do. Okay. So part of what, you know, the work I do is, is uh, both kind of trying to understand in different places what the, what the challenges are, where, where is the problem? Okay. Um, And sometimes the problem is about resources and that, you know, it's like the food example. And sometimes, the, the challenge is um, there's no early child care programs or early school programs and be able to then work with different places to think about how could they use their resources to think about how to ch- how to change that or how to improve what's happening. Okay. Um, so as, as an example, um, the project that one of my projects, which we might talk about is, is in, in Kyrgyzstan where the country said, you know, we want to invest in early childhood. We know when we, when we invest in early childhood, the, the evidence, the economic evidence says like for every dollar you spend in early childhood, you recoup as a society seven dollars. Wow. I mean, seven, I mean, think about that. If like we could put that in our portfolio, we all would. Yeah. And yet we're not systematically doing that. So as a country, Kyrgyzstan said, we want to, we want to put that investment early. But how do we do that? And how do we, you know, make sure that we're gonna we're gonna provide um, preschool for our whole country. How do we ensure that it's the kind of program that's actually gonna do what we're asking? Okay. You know, and what do we, and how do we do that? And how do we ensure then it's providing providing the kind of quality? How do we keep making sure that people are getting that? So that investment is actually gonna mean something for right. us. And how long? How many years have you been? Working with Kyrgyzstan. Uh, Twenty thirteen was the first time I went. Okay. Okay. And what have you seen? Are you starting uh, to so, reap benefits? Yes, yes. Yeah. So actually, well, it's one of the um, so one of the early things they found was even though they said we want to invest all this money and we want to do things well there, um, they took high school teachers, okay, and had them become early childhood teachers. Really? And then they had 75% of them leave. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because working with young children it's different than, is working, different with than teachers, working with teenagers. teenagers. So that was a good lesson okay. that they learned. They also learned that even though they got lots of great books and resources, um, that those things are so precious and, and limited in the country that those were getting locked away in office spaces and um, not and not being used by kids. So oh. these are the kind we, we we work with them to figure out what's happening. And then most recently they we worked with them to try to um, develop a kind of coaching for quality in early childhood where they had some of their really good teachers working with some new teachers to help okay. them be more supportive of young children. And we've seen really great things come from that, that they're really excited about. So um, that to me is a good example of we're not coming. We Our work is not about coming in and giving you like, oh, here's a prescription of right. how to like do things right. A, B, C, D. That's right. That's right. It's like, let's work together and see what do we know across the world right. that okay. seems to be working. And then how might that work for you? Okay. So you can be taking advantage of the lessons learned in other places, but making it work for your country. Uh-oh. That's really cool. I I love it. I love <laughs> I love it. But partly the you know the the US is amazing. The world is amazing. I mean there's so many kind, good, thoughtful people trying to make the world better. better. Yeah. And they just don't get the press that Mm-mm. that they deserve for sure. Yeah. Because it would be a kinder, nicer, more beautiful country world if they did, yes, you know. I agree. It's crazy. Is there anything else you want to tell any of my listeners about your 
career or the, the programs <laughs> that you do? Um, I, the, I, I think one of the things that's somewhat related to my work, but more just in general is just, I think saying yes to things okay. is, is such a good approach. <laughs> and it doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything, right. but sometimes Things are scary and we in unfamiliar and, and our, our first reaction may be to say no. Um, but saying yes to some of these, um, asks I've had have taken me. I've, you know, I've been to six continents. Wow. And I have met people. There's no way in the world I would have met without, you know, just saying yes to go and, you know, I just went to Zimbabwe and met some of the most incredible people and also got to go to a rhino preserve. And, wow. you know, just this. So having having some, you know, openness to um, the uncertainty that yes right. can bring uh, can really enrich your life in ways yeah. that um, you don't anticipate. That's incredible. That's good. Sorry for the abrupt stop, but that was the best place for me to stop. Pause for a second with me. Think about what doors have opened when Jennifer said yes. Imagine six out of seven continents she has visited. And she's working her passion. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could all do for work the things we love? I don't think that's impossible. I actually think it's possible. One thing I want to say, I'm pretty apolitical or very purple. I I like to stay out of politics mostly, but I am going to say that I share Jennifer's passion for early childhood education and how important it is. Did you hear her say for every dollar spent, $7 are recouped in the the economic world? That's huge. That is huge. I just think it's important that we invest money into our kids because that's our future. Anyway, come back next week. Jennifer opens up about a couple of more personal passions she has, and then she opens her heart to tell us the story of her dad and his fight with Alzheimer's. You guys, it had me in tears, and I don't cry very much. So until next week, we'll see ya. Thanks again for listening. Hey, if you like what you heard, if you would give me a review, that would be fabulous. The more reviews I get, the higher I get, the more people can listen to me and find me. Oh, by the way, you can find me at mylifeisajunkdrawer.com or on Facebook at mylifeisajunkdrawer. On Instagram, it's Sue C. Mangum. You can leave questions, concerns, anything, and I'll be sure to get back with you. Hope to hear from you soon.